these are tools that you can use every day to start to activate a long dormant part of the mind to start to spark some energy, spark some creativity and give you the ability to solve problems like you've never had before. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. My name is Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Nir Bashan. He's the author of The Creator Mindset, which is being released worldwide on McGraw-Hill Business. He's one of the youngest professors ever selected to teach graduate courses at the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. And he also taught undergraduate courses at the University of California at Los Angeles. He's worked on numerous albums, movies, advertisements. He's worked with famous actors and musicians from like Rod Stewart to Woody Harrelson. His work on creativity has won a Clio Award and it was nominated for an Emmy. So, Nia, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You know what? I know I was going to ask you a, a specific question at the start, but I have a different one. What is a Clio Award? So Clios are advertising awards, right? They're they're given every year. They used to be on TV, and you know they're they're a glamorous event. You know they're kind of like the uh, Oscars of advertising. People right. get it was dressed like the, up. What's that? You know, I was gonna say it's like the just like you were saying it's like an award show for advertisements, but it mostly used to be for like TV commercials, right? Correct. Yeah. So they used to be only TV. And I think about 15, 20 years ago, they changed and they give Clio's out for a bunch of stuff, print ads and stuff like that. But it's still pretty cool. The one I, I won was in South Beach and, you know, it was in one of these huge auditoriums somewhere. And there was, I don't know, four, five, six hundred people. And I got to go on stage and, you know, do a speech or whatever. I was like, hey, everybody, thank you. I want to thank my mom. Yeah, that was my speech. Hey. Uh, thanks mom uh, bye everyone you know i was like so nervous it was before like i you know kind of got into a rhythm of, of public speaking and stuff like that and people don't realize how hard it is to get in front of a group and you know kind of deliver a uh coherent and cogent message you know yeah one of the biggest fears that people have if you like survey people is public speaking isn't that amazing you know it's just it's like one of these things that uh I don't know if it's something we're born with or what not, but it's like people just get so afraid of getting up in front of people and and delivering you know uh, some information it's 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 really wild i I haven't really looked at it much, but I wonder why that is. Yeah. So I, I heard this thing. It was on a podcast and, you know, you can't say anything on a podcast that's untrue. So this has to be 100 percent true. It was that if you put people in an MRI machine and you track embarrassing situations, like you show them embarrassing situations that make them feel embarrassed, that your brain can't tell the difference between embarrassment and actual physical harm. Oh, how crazy. Wow. Like in the, in the reaction you get from it. Um, and I'm not sure like the specifics on it. Obviously, I'm not a neurologist or anything, but <laughs> I mean, there, there might be something along with that. But let's get back to the important stuff here. So your book is The Creator Mindset. So what is The Creator Mindset? So the creator mindset is a series of tools, tips and tricks that I put together through, you know, 20, 25 years of entrepreneurial endeavor. Most of that entrepreneurial endeavor ending up completely going wrong, you know, and completely sort of burned to the ground. And I sort of pieced together through all the different businesses that I've worked at and all of the different businesses that I've owned a sort of rhythm, a recipe that anybody can follow to be creative no matter what they do. So if you want to help business leaders harness the power of creativity, uh, improve profitability, increase sales, and ultimately create more meaning in their in their work, and that's kind of like the byline, I guess, to your book, why do you think creativity will help people accomplish those things? Yeah, so definitely. I think that 
We have spent far too long developing, I would say overdeveloping the analytical side of our mind. It's what we do in school. It's what we do in colleges. It's, you know, sort of what we do as a society. And as people go into the workforce, whether they're out of the army or out of school, you know, they're like, okay, I'm ready to get to work. And all of the skills that they have and all of the skills that they've developed through schooling are analytical skills, right? And so you remember a few years ago, people started talking about soft skills, right? Those are the skills that you don't learn in school. Well, I take it a little bit further, right? I talk about soft skills as part of creative skills overall. And of the part of the mind that we haven't developed is really the creative side. We've been born, we're all born creative, and we have a certain gift to get out into the world. Yet we have pushed that side down and favored the analytical for far, far too long. And what you have is companies out there that are folding because COVID hit. You have companies that can't get ahead. They're stuck at a certain level. You have people on their career that, you know, have kind of plateaued and are wondering what's going on. Why, why haven't I been able to grow and develop and get to that next level? And for me, the answer in each case is that we're not being creative enough in our problem solving in our careers and in our businesses to get to the next level. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've seen some businesses fold pretty immediately after COVID started. And I think one of the things that we did is we said, how can we help businesses stay afloat with the podcast? Because we have this platform, there's business owners listening to it, right? So what can we do to help? And a lot of the kind of conversations that we had were around kind of pivoting businesses and not necessarily pivoting the, the, the entire business or the entire business model, but can you pivot your marketing? Can you pivot your deployment? Can you pivot how you, you know, produce your stuff? Can you pivot how you deliver services and things like that? That kind of came up pretty often, but I think you hit a really good point there. You've got to be creative to be able to do that thing, right? Right. So, it's a really great point, Matt. And what you see is people pivoting back into what they were comfortable, you know, in the first place. So it's not really a true pivot, you know, or what I like to call a change. I'm not crazy about the word pivot. I like to call it what it is. It's a change. And when you see companies, especially today, saying, you know what? I'm pivoting. I'm doing everything. I'm pivoting. Look at me. If you really look at it, they're not pivoting. They're just doing something else that feels comfortable. As a society today, both in the workplace and personally, we're addicted to comfort. It comes to us in our devices. You know, all of our devices are engineered, you know, neurologically to give us pleasure. It's amazing. I did research on the book with some really great people who looked into it far smarter than I am. And, you know, there's study after study that shows, you know, that when you click here, it, it lights up the same sensor, just like what you were talking about earlier, you know, about public speaking. But this lights up the sensors of pleasure, the same that we would get when we, you know, eat chocolate or, you know, that sort of thing. And here we are, you know, wondering why we can't get our creative abilities going because we're so addicted to comfort. So part, part of the equation always has to deal with injecting a bit of discomfort in those pivot points, in those change points and looking at the problem holistically and, and saying, you know, am I doing enough? Am I attacking this problem in such a way that will really allow me to solve it? Or, Am I just doing another flavor or another version of the same thing? Right. I feel that way kind of with business in general and even people who work inside of companies and stuff is the goal always seems to be, how can I think about this thing or solve this problem so I don't have to think about it again ever? You know, it's it's how can I just get it to the point where I'm comfortable and then people wonder why they're not growing anymore or why they're not being promoted or why their business isn't doing better. And I always think of it like um, there's this 
there's this kind of like stick drawing that I've done a few times when I've done some live events where it's like a guy on a bicycle. He's at the bottom of a hill and he can't see over the hill. And when you ride the bike to the top of the hill, which is really hard work, the only thing you see is another hill that's slightly larger that you can't see over. Right. And it's easy to go back down, but then you got to climb up the next hill, which only leads you to another bigger hill you have to climb. But the point is that you will never get to the top. You know, there's always another hill to climb, but you can stay in that comfort zone at the bottom, but that's the level you're always going to be at. I don't know. That might be a little hard for people to picture without, (laughs) you know, a video, but it is the difficult things that we do that seem to be the things that really matter in the end. But let me ask you this. And this is something that I've, I've actually honestly had this conversation on the podcast with a couple different people. And I want to know what your opinion is on if you think that people are born with creativity or if it's a skill that you can work on or sharpen. So 100 percent born with it. We have some great people who contributed research to the book, and we found that babies solve problems creatively before language skills, before you know, other type of skills take hold. And so I am in the 100% born with it camp. If you look at our ancestors and you look how they, at how they were able to, you know, sort of make us, you see time and time again, creativity being the differentiating factor between living and dying. And so for us, I think it is deeply ingrained in our DNA it's deeply ingrained in who we are as people. And yet, for some reason, I mean, there's many reasons, but for some reason, we've kind of traded it for the analytical. We, we love numbers and we love quantification. And, you know, we love, hey, look, I worked on this spreadsheet for four hours. I did work. But what I want to ask is, what work have we been doing? And to what means? Sometimes, Some of that analytical work can just be work for work's sake, where nothing really new gets generated. It's just an endless sort of catch-22 of, I need to do some work, so I'm working. I need to do some work, so I am working. I need to do some work. And so many companies are set up like that. It's amazing, you know, inefficient and, you know, just kind of existing to exist. My platform really is around asking business leaders and professionals, you know, people that are along in their career, I'm, I'm constantly asking where is the creative mindset? Where is the different set of tools that you have to apply to this problem and really come up with a solution rather than what you've been doing yesterday, you know, hoping that what you've been doing yesterday will work tomorrow. There are so many companies and so many people in their careers that are convinced, they're convinced that tomorrow will be exactly like it was today and next week will be exactly like it was yesterday. And those are the people who are, you know, kind of on the, you know, relegated to the pages of history. Now we have COVID. Now we have, you know, all of these challenges that have come up. And guess what? Tomorrow is not going to be like today or yesterday. And the people who are able to be creative about how they solve these problems and how they address these things, they're going to be the ones who win, Matt. So so let's say that the creator mindset is the way to win and the way to kind of break out of this this chain of endless procedural activity. Is there a way that people can sharpen their creativity? Absolutely. So creativity is a tool just like any other tool, right? It's just like having proper cash flow. It's just like, you know, being able to read a quarter three report. It's the same thing. It's a tool. And we need to practice that tool in order to get better at it. I'll give you an example. When I was a younger in Los Angeles, I worked on a number of hip hop albums. I don't know why hip hop, but I worked on a lot of hip hop albums. I worked for KRS-One and Cypress Hill. I don't know if you remember them, but what I learned was that some people in the music business are absolute losers. You know, they're addicted to drugs and that's their method to generate creativity. They do a lot of drugs and drink a lot. You know, you hear about them on the news all the time. Those are the, those are the people that, you know, are, are doing that. And on the other hand, you have the people that, you know, are the consummate professionals. 
the KRS ones, the you know Lady Gaga, the um, uh, Cypress Hill people, um, the Rod Stewart's. You have these people that I've worked with and I've seen what they've done, and they have a routine, man. It's not like somebody waiting around for some inspiration to strike and then i will write the song no they they have a notebook they have a process they have a routine they apply sort of the same measures that you know maybe somebody in medicine or manufacturing would apply to their day-to-day and so i thought that was very interesting and and i sort of piecemeal together all of these things that i've seen in different businesses whether they were creative or not and i've kind of piecemealed all of these things together into a manual that will help people become creative now why did i do that it's because I looked around in the marketplace and I figured, Matt, there's got to be a book out there to help people become creative. And I read them all. I read all of them. And the overwhelming majority of books out there on creativity are about the why. Why should we be creative? And I'm reading these things like churning a page, like excited, like cool. Yeah. Why? Yay. I'm in. I'm in. Where? where? I'm sure they're going to tell me how. Right. And I'm reading and I'm really excited and, and like, I churn the page and keep churning and never get to the how. And so when I decided to put this book out, I had a great agent in New Jersey who was really behind this thing. And she was like, you've got to make it about the how. There's too many books about the why. I'm like, I love you. I'm in. Let's sign. Let's do this thing. And then when we went around, we got four publishing offers, four in 2020, get four publishing offers. It's like, who, wow. what? That's crazy. And we we interviewed a few of them. The people from McGraw-Hill came on, and they were like, this book needs to be about the how. We're tired of the why. We need to figure out how to give people a manual that they could pick up a Sharpie, they could pick up a highlighter and start circling and get to work near. That's what we want to do. What do you think? And I'm like, you know, I'm like crying on the other end. Oh, my God, that's exactly what I wanted, you know. So – And I was like, basically, you know, that doesn't exist. They're like, totally, we're in publishing. We know what exists. I'm like, okay, cool, because it doesn't. And I was a consumer of this type of thing, and I couldn't find it. So they were like, cool. I was like, cool. We wrote the book. And basically, it is a step-by-step guide to anybody Anything that they do, no matter, you know, if they're in uh, heavy machinery and construction or, you know, if they're in uh, medicine or, you know, they're, they're a farmer. These are tools that you can use every day to start to activate a long dormant part of the mind to start to spark some energy, spark some creativity and give you the ability to solve problems like you've never had before. I 100% agree with you that the manual, at least, you know, until your book comes out, didn't exist because I've looked through, right? And I've, I've read some of those books, right? And I've looked and you know what it kind of reminds me of and not to kind of sidetrack for a minute, but I constantly do that anyway. I like the sidetracks. Right? I'm a sidetracker. So I, I went to a conference called The Hustle down in Southern California a few years ago. And I heard the founder of Impossible Burger talk, right? And, uh, you know, where they make, it's it's a meat substitute that you can't really tell the difference between it and a hamburger kind of thing. And then they have sausage and stuff like that now too. But anyways, just full disclosure, he doesn't know me. They don't pay us anything like that. I just like the story. So anyway, I go watch him and his story is, is he's a biologist, right? And he's learning all this stuff about biomass of, of animals on the planet. And he figures out that there's like, I don't know. I don't know the exact stats, like 14 times more cows than people on the planet. Right. And 10 times more chickens and 12 times more sheep or whatever. Right. And all this, all these animals make up almost all of the biomass on the entire planet. Right. And it's just an unsustainable thing. And he's like, well, why isn't someone doing anything about this problem? And when he looked around, no one was doing anything about the problem. And he's like, well, maybe I can find a solution, right? Because he's that one person who said, maybe I can find a solution, right? You're the one guy who read through all the books about creativity and said, how come someone hasn't written a manual about this, right? And he said, all right, I'm going to write a manual about this. We need more people who are doers, Right. People are going to look and say, there's a problem. Why isn't somebody doing something about this and change that and flip the script and say, I'm going to do something about it. 
Yeah, you're right on, Matt. This is what I'm hoping that I inspire in people. I want people to look around the world and look at their day-to-day existence and see what needs to be solved. That is your business. I speak to a lot of people who are kind of frustrated in their careers or, you know, they're, they're they've hit sort of the, the peak of middle management and they're wondering why they can't get ahead. It's like, what ideas do you have? Well, I have a few ideas that would be really great. And, you know, I would love to start my company, but, 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 you know, and, and I'm kind of the person that will come along and say, let's eliminate those, you know, excuses and let's get to work, start solving a problem that exists. It doesn't have to be a huge problem. I think the impossible burger guy took on a huge problem and, you know, God bless him, get in there, make that burger because there's an audience for it. And there's people who want that, but, you know, what little problems you experience in your day to day, you know, whether it's a business to business application or a business to consumer, it doesn't really matter. There are tons of, you know, it's ripe for the taking, especially right now with COVID. There's so much that needs to change and to, needs to be sort of solved that, you know, it, it really is the ripe time to come to the marketplace with a product or service that is needed. And that, I think that takes a, fair amount of creativity. That's true. And I think there's a lot of businesses that are going to fail, which is sad, right? But there's a lot of businesses that didn't have to fail had they been more creative on the solution, right? And like I look at a lot of businesses and we've had, I've had this conversation uh, with businesses and with some business groups that we're in several times. And I've had business owners kind of look at me like I just showed a dog a card trick, right? And they're like, No, like, I'm like, well, what if you could change the layout of your restaurant and turn it into a fast casual restaurant with, you know, one way in and one way out so that you can socially distance people and you put your staff in this order. And they're like, well, why would I do that when I've got 20 tables and 60 chairs? Those are useless now, right? Like you might as well throw them in the garbage or use them to cook on the fire because nobody's going to be sitting in your restaurant anytime soon. Right. Right. So, you know. Like I remember having a conversation with a restaurant owner on, I I think it was like, it was the last week of March. And I was like, you should go take a third of the tables and chairs you have in your restaurant and go put them on Craigslist and sell them now before nobody can sell a table and a chair anymore because you're not going to need them. Right. And now these restaurants have to have 36 feet of space per table. Right. Because you got to keep six feet of distance. Right. And so there's, there's this kind of creativity of thinking that, not only what is the what's going to happen, how can you change, right? And then what is going to be the effect of those changes? And that's kind of, you know, kind of multi-step thinking in business that a lot of people need. Not that I'm saying that they shouldn't read your book. I'm saying they should 100% read your book <laughs> and figure out how to do these things, right? Totally. Um, there are so many businesses that are going to be affected. And if you think about Every time there was a market crash, every time there was a recession, every time there's a changing of the guard in business, right? It's the the new business always came out of the recession. It was always the drop in the market or whatever, right? That that started the businesses that end up being the future unicorns, right? And you don't have to be a unicorn. You don't have to be a billion dollar business. You don't got to solve the cow problem on the earth every single time you do something like you're saying, right? There's a million micro markets where a thousand people would love to give you enough money to make you wealthy. No doubt. No doubt. And listen, because creativity is something we are all born with, it is literally seeped into our DNA. And the way that you solve problems, Matt, is not going to be the way that I solve problems. And the way that restaurant owner solves problems is not going to be the way another restaurant owner solves problems. When we are in touch with who we are as human beings creatively, we begin to solve problems in a way that nobody else on earth can solve. You have told the guy, hey, sell the tables, right? But for him, that's not his methodology. That wouldn't be what got him there. Listen, if you're owning a restaurant, you're there for a very particular reason. You, sir, have a, you know, a great agency that does super cool niche, you know, ads for real estate and different types of, of very specific businesses. And there is no way that you would be doing that if that wasn't perfect for what you need to be doing. And 
the way that you found a path to your career, to your entrepreneurship, and to arriving in that sort of client services heavy based business, you know, uh, combining, you know, advertising and media buys and all the stuff that you need to do to prepare stuff to go out in the market. That way that you came to do that particular thing is unique, man. It's one of a kind. That's it. And so what I advocate for people to do is to look within themselves. And, you know, the book is 92 tools. All of them are free. Every single one of them is free. It's really about changing your mindset. So I encourage people to look within who they are and why they are doing what they are doing. And there they will find an answer to whatever they need you know, asking that answer comes from the creativity, comes from your gut, kind of telling you what to do. In every case in my entire life, Matt, when I didn't listen to my gut, I literally got screwed, literally got screwed, sometimes financially, sometimes personally, on and on. So that gut is going to tell you what you need to do. If you're a restaurant owner in this case, in this day, in this age, and you're thinking, what do I need to do? You need to start looking within yourself to go, why did I get into this in the first place? Why do I have a franchise? Why do I have a, you know, uh, a, a pho place? Why do I, you know, why am I doing what I am doing? And in that, you're going to find meaning. That meaning will help you then solve the problem that you need to solve. Maybe it's, you know, moving the entire venture outside. I know that's tough in the Pacific Northwest, but maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's transitioning to uh, two or three of your items and then delivering them to customers. Maybe it's getting a truck. Maybe it's cooking in the kitchen and having some of the services pick it up and distribute it that way. There are so many solutions, yet so many of us are just like rolling over right now, just dead, right? I'm done. Uh, this is horrible. I'm done. And I feel like we've had it good for too long. And we've sort of gotten so comfortable in the situation that we stop to innovate and stop to grow and stop to create. And I implore every one of your listeners right now who feels frustrated, they feel ticked off. They're a little bit, you know, angry at the situation. They want it to become better. I ask them, what are they doing to make it become better? What are they offering to change with the situation to adapt to it and to use creativity to then use this as an opportunity, not as a adversity? 100% agree with definitely with the people getting too comfortable part. I mean, that's been I mean, it's been predicted for a long time. And I hate to say predicted because everyone on the Internet is always predicting everything. And <laughs> all you got to do is just keep doing it. And then you can go back and say, look, I was right when you predict everything that's possibly going to happen. Because nobody's holding your feet to the fire on it, right? You know, they're not saying the other 99 things you said didn't come true. But the the comfort in business, it was easy to make money, right? The, the economy was good. The economy is growing. You know, year after year, there hadn't been a, a large, you know, real estate or other type or stock market drop for a long time. You know, th a lot of this stuff was a long time coming. The people who have been around in business for a longer period of time have said, this is the longest time without some kind of collapse, right? Or some kind of disaster. Just nobody thought it was going to be, well, I mean, except for your, like your Bill Gates's kind of thing. Nobody thought it was going to be a pandemic. But nobody besides Bill Gates is out trying to cure polio. So he's got an insight on that kind of disease neighborhood, right? But so anyways, if you look at it and you say, yeah, I'm really angry this happened, that's fine. But it doesn't change it, right? The situation doesn't care how you feel about it. Anger is not an actionable tool. That's the problem. Right. It is what it is. Like, it just is what it is. So you got to deal with the way things are now and also... You know, that that creative mindset, that creator mindset is going to give you those tools you need to try and deal with the way the world is going to be and not be angry about the way it is now or what's happened to you. And, you know, what I heard a, I remember a super interesting, just very short story I heard on Seth Godin's podcast a while back. It was this lady, she's going to a yoga studio, right, to do yoga. And there's this guy who's like over by the wall where the yoga studio is every time. And he keeps making this clicking noise through the class all the time. He's like, and just driving her crazy during quiet yoga time, right? So week after week, she goes to this class. This guy keeps making this stupid clicking noise. Finally, she gets up the nerve. She's going to go talk to him, right, and be like, I need you to stop making this noise. So she gets up, walks over to him. Just before she gets there, the guy actually finishes rolling up his mat and walks away. So she doesn't get to talk to him. 
And then she hears the same clicking noise again. And it's the radiator on the wall is clicking. <laughs> and she was ready to just yell at this guy and everything. Right. And she's so angry about it. But now she's not angry anymore because it's the radiator. It's not the guy. Right. So you can't be angry at, at the situation. Right. And I don't know if that was Seth Godin's moral to the story, but I mean, you can't be mad at the radiator for clicking. (laughs) You got to deal with the situation the way it is. No doubt. Yeah. Let me ask you this. There's a lot of stuff coming up in the world. I don't want to get too into it because I I understand the tech a lot more than kind of the average person coming from programming background. But there's a lot of stuff with deep learning systems, artificial intelligence, automation. You've got people who their boss is an algorithm now, right? You know, everybody who drives for a company or delivers food or whatever these things are, right? Your boss is not a person anymore. Do you think that having that creator mindset is going to be the way you can survive all of these automated processes in the future? Yeah. So I looked into some AI again with really smart people and there are certain things that computers will never be able to do. This is my prediction that I'm going to go on the record here. I'm going to predict something and then, you know, somebody's going to listen to this show in 50 years and be like, wow, that guy was an idiot. But or that guy was a genius. Yeah, I'm hoping the the latter. Some AI is going to find it and they're going to be like, that guy was right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think that there are attributes and I know at least today and probably, you know, in the next at least five, 10 years. There's attributes of humanity that will never be able to be replicated by a computer. One of them is creativity. Computers are very good analytically. They're very good with numbers, way better than we are. The algorithms that you're talking about that make up sort of uh, automated uh, timekeeping and and schedule setting for deliveries and stuff like that, you know, they're, they're a very niche type of, of product and they can't make really intelligent decisions in terms of, you know, using creativity. I think that we are in love as a society with technology and we are in love with it because it makes us too damn comfortable. And because of that comfort, what we end up doing is it's a vicious cycle. We seek more and more of that comfort. We get a little bit, we want more. We don't have enough because we feel like we're not comfortable enough and we want more and more and more and more. And it generates into this kind of, you know, endless love affair with gadgets and devices. Our gadgets and devices had to be designed by somebody who had to come up with an idea in the first place. And without the idea, we're just doing. Again, yeah, can we do it for a little while? Yeah, sure. I mean, does it kind of work? I don't know. Maybe. But really, in the long term, these things are not going to replicate or be able to create ideas the way human beings are able to create ideas. That is our, really our DNA, our, the essence of our soul. And so AI and these types of things are making very, very impressive leaps and bounds forward, but they will never be able to capture the ability of the human mind to be creative and to solve problems by taking, you know, a bunch of different experiences and, you know, childhood memories, a certain song that we heard back in college and, you know, the way that our nephew, you know, has that accent because he's from this country. You know, we combine all of that and we use it to solve problems. There's no machine on earth that'll be able to do that. Yet, What we've done is we've kind of traded all of that and, you know, that type of deep, deep thinking, the combining the analytics and the creative, we've traded that for comfort. And so we want a machine to do it for us. And we're like, yeah, it's doing it pretty good. And, and we start to go, wait, yeah, yeah, it's really good. No, no, no. It's even better than we thought it was going to be. And so on and so forth. The vicious cycle starts and we all of a sudden, you know, are in love with Siri or in love with our, our, you know, Amazon device uh, that we talk to, you know, that's in our home. But those things will never, never, ever be able to replicate the human soul, which for me manifests itself in the ability to solve problems creatively. It is a byproduct of most of us seeking too much comfort and not looking inside enough to say, how can we shift our mindset? How can we stay competitive in our given market and our given field, our given vocation, and really working internally to to turn up the volume on both sides of the mind so that we can work with it in harmony moving forward? A lot of us are saying from the analytical side, uh, just give me an app. 
then I'll find an app that'll do that. And that's where the story starts and stops. Well, I don't think you should talk about my girlfriend, Alexa, that way. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I think that there's there's sort of a disconnect in people's brains, like between where the line gets drawn between what is kind of an analytical thing that a computer can do and what's a creative thing that a person can only do. And I think that the line is way more closer to the creative side than it is to the analytical side. If you were to graph it, I think computers can do way more work that people assume needs some creativity than they would think, especially some of the new stuff that's come out, like the open AI GPT three does some crazy stuff. It's like an AI that's already pre-trained and has basically everything on the internet in it already, as well as every online library and stuff is already in the system. And you can ask it things. And when I say ask it, I mean, programming wise, you would program some like an API call that that would ask something. So an example would be, I, I want an article about the safety of a Toyota RAV4 and it will spit back in seconds an article about the safety ratings of, of a RAV4 that looks like it was written by a journalist. Wow. And that's cool. with no zero training, like you don't have to train the AI how to do it. It's already in it. And they actually did some testing with those articles that this AI writes and only 12% of people were able to regularly identify ones that were written by it versus a journalist. Yeah, it's crazy. And and listen, there's a there's a radio station here that does a um, you know like a news thing, and they have a virtual news reporter, you know, and they kind of sound like this. But I'm sure soon in the future they will not sound like this anymore, you know, and 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 that sort of thing. But there is no creativity coming from the machine. The machine is programmed by somebody. It's an analytical construct masquerading as creativity. Throughout history, Matt, there has been time and time again a technology that would render other things irrelevant forever you know we've been predicting the demise of human beings you know and and you know for a long time and people are convinced that today today is the day that we will actually you know have a machine be smarter than a human the the thing is it's, it's just not true it'll never happen and you know for me having creativity and developing creativity is really one of the most important things that we can do. I think the the idea behind having the creator mindset is going to be the thing that sets you apart from others. And that's going to be the people who kind of survive the cuts and stuff that come with jobs and positions and things that are replaced by AIs, right? No doubt. No doubt. That is the recipe to, you know, to sort of excel. You know, a lot of people get so comfortable in a particular job that they don't start innovating and changing and adding value. And, you know, a manager at some point goes, well, I think a machine can do that. You know, I think uh, we can replace that with with somebody else and something else that is not a human. And there there is a certain drive to do that type of thing. But if we are consciously aware and consciously investing in continual innovation, continual creativity, we stay relevant by the means of having the idea that gives us purpose to have that job in the first place. Right. I think that if I were to make my own prediction, I would say that when you look at a place that commonly has a lot of jobs that require a low amount of training, let's say a good example would be something like a fast food restaurant. A fast food restaurant will be higher volume and have less staff in the future because the robots are going to cook the food. The AI is going to know when you're coming. It's already going to prepare the stuff that the people that order on an average time already come there. It's going to be even faster than it is now, which if that's even possible. And, you know, your your order is going to be processed by a machine who's going to ask you the questions, who can understand what you're saying. I think all of those systems are going to be completely automated. We're basically you're, you're going to be driving into a food factory, right? There's going to be no, no people involved in the process of making, getting, or delivering your food unless there's a serious issue, right? And I think that's going to happen in a lot of industries. I think that's going to happen with basically any industry where you have a set amount of things that can happen, right? Like you can only have your cheeseburger so many different ways, right? And 
if each of those processes can be nailed down to something that the robot arm can reach and 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 put on the bun for you, then that's the way it is, right? And there's no person needed in that process anymore. And I think also for let me make another prediction now that we're having prediction show day. Another prediction I think is that there's going to be artificial intelligence as well as deep learning systems and stuff combined into a lot of the arts, especially like music and television and things like that. I think a lot of that is going to be kind of mixed together. And then I think there's going to be a huge backlash to kind of analog ways where people are going to want analog music again, where they know it wasn't generated by a computer. Right. I think there's going to be kind of a backlash to that later. You know, music's, Already, there's already AIs that play music, that create music right now. Maybe it's a mishmash of other stuff, right? But there's one that's actually, it's strangely entertaining. There's this one that's on YouTube, and it plays live 24 hours a day. And all it does is make, like, Norwegian death metal. And it just, it's like recordings from all these different death metal artists. And the AI makes it up. And it's continuously new over and over 24 hours a day, seven days a week, live. So you just go listen to it and it just plays this like crazy music, right? And I think a lot of that stuff is going to come up. But, you know, the other thing is when you get into, when you're talking creativity, if we stick with the music genre, like have you ever heard of a band called Dread Zeppelin? No, but it sounds, sounds awesome. So it was super niche and it was like kind of from the 80s, I think, 80s and 90s. So it was this big fat guy dressed up as Elvis. I say he's a big fat guy. He's probably the same size as me. But uh, he's dressed up as Elvis and they had a band that only plays Led Zeppelin music, but they play it in a reggae style and he sings as Elvis. Your computer's never going to come up with that, right? (laughs) That's crazy. So there is some creativity there. And it came out. It sounds great. I mean, you look him up sometime. but Yeah, I mean – People have been predicting, you know, music being automated for, I don't know, several hundred years. I, I, I have a music undergrad, right? So I've studied, you know, everything from, you know, Baroque, uh, four-part chorale all the way to, you know, the circle of fifth, right? And and when that came out, people were like, oh, that's pop music's recipe, right? Root five, four. That's it. That's every pop song. A machine can do that. Dude, it's 2020. A machine hasn't done it yet. People have been predicting the death of music forever. All right. Uh, oh, Napster. It's going to kill music. Music's not dead. Uh, you know, tapes. People like tapes now. That's making a resurgence. Cassette tapes, records, vinyl records are like one or 2% of all music that Amazon sells. One or 2% of all music that Amazon sells is on vinyl. I think that these these sort of you know computer or technology replacement of things that humans can do yes i think you're going to see some of it no doubt especially in really routine applications and and sort of stamp in stamp out type type things but no i'm not really worried about about humanity losing out to the uh death metal norwegian computer that's true i think if you listen to kind of a lot of modern pop music a lot of it's done with with you know samples and music that's taken that other people are making the pieces and then these people are putting the pieces back together and then singing over top of it and stuff as voice gets better as the writing systems get better there is going to be computers making music that's indistinguishable from you know modern pop music in no time i mean probably within years it will be indistinguishable however will it be any good That's the question, right? And most people would say no, but I think the answer is going to be surprising to a lot of people. But also that's why I kind of predict the backlash is people are going to say, especially with like the world with deep fake videos, right? Where they can't tell if if the person saying the stuff actually said it. You know, you've got the way that editing happens. Like look at any political video. If you look at the same situation that's been edited for, you know, the left wing and the right wing in the United States, it's the same video edited to give you two different messages. You know, people want something that's real. And I think there's going to be a big backlash in the next few years of people wanting to see things that they can confirm are real. And also that that creative process is real, that it's not just, the computer designed 16 million choices, showed it to 160 million people and took the one that had the most engagement and refined it until it got down to the one it shot out to the rest of everybody else. They want something that's, 
you know, somebody has made something that is unique and creative and brave and, and, and all those things that art are, but from a business aspect, there is a lot of analytical tools in business, right? That go through all these things, but analytical tools don't give you the creative things that start new businesses that nobody's thought of before. Correct. And from the dawn of time, people have been trying to hack this thing, right? They've been trying to hack the market. Let's come up with a supercomputer that will tell us, you know, whether this stock will come up or come down. It's just not going to happen. There is no replacement for the human ability to create something. I believe in it to every core of my being. There's no machine that's going to look at your proposals and say, you know what? You need to change your billing model. Okay. There isn't. You need to do that. You need to sit down and look at your business and see what's working, what's not. I did a talk for a disaster restoration company before this COVID hit, and I think it was in February now, just right before. And, you know, a gentleman came up to me afterward and was like, basically, near. thank you for coming. It was kind of cool. But the whole time you talked, I was just thinking about the emails I had to get out. And so I had a good laugh. You know, I was like, thanks for, for telling me that. That's hilarious. I said, what kind of business are you in? So he told me. And I said, you know, what what kind of emails were you going to send? He said, well, proposals. I sent a lot of proposals. I said, okay, how many of them do you close? He's like, 18%. I, I can't remember the number. And I said, okay, what, you know, is that good? He's like, well, it's industry standard. I'm like, you happy with it? He's like, well, no, not really. There's no machine there that's going to determine whether that's a good ratio or a bad ratio. That's his personal decision. And I said, okay, cool. Now we're starting to get creative. What would you like to be? He's like an uptick of two to 3% would be brilliant. I go, cool. That's an analytical construct. Let's look at the creativity. What's going on in the proposal? He's like, the same thing we've been going out for 15 years there. I'm, I'm closing 18. Did I, did you not hear me? 18% I'm closing. Why would I change anything? I'm like, cause you're not happy with it. You're changing it cause you're not happy with it. And you know, you could be doing better. That is a creative mindset. That's a creator sort of, uh, situation. And he's like, Hmm, this is interesting. He signs up for the cheapest, you know, the, the base consulting package, you know, I hop on the phone with him, you know, for five hours or whatever it was. You know, and we started to restructure the proposal as a story. Okay. So now, you know, Mary's cooking in her kitchen. Oh, you know, some splatter and, and, you know, she had to, and it burned and the fire department came. Who does she call now? And so that was in the proposal. We took it from looking like a contract, you know, from 1987 and made it into a story. Now, boom, one, two percent upticks in closes. And so he's like, OK, now come come in here. We need you. Let's do this for real. I, I generally when I consult, I start on the sales side because people want to see like immediate, tangible, analytical results. Right. But fine. We can start there if that's what. Yeah, whatever's comfortable. And so we started looking at the way that he invoices and we found that the, you know, it's all lump sum. And I said, you know, have you thought about a la carte? Nobody's doing a la carte that, you know, no machine is going to do that. No machine is going to sit down and look at the fiber, the very connected tissue of your business, your product or your service, or even your career and start to question and ask and explore. And all of these things really came from him. It was his business. He was in it really to help people. I talked to him over a beer and he told me, you know, near I had a, a tool chest of stuff in my my garage and everybody in the neighborhood comes to my house when they need, you know, a, a 16 millimeter, you know, uh, a German style wrench to get into something, you know, some coffee maker they bought. That's really fancy. He is that guy in helping people is his DNA. And so we started to look at it. Okay, lump sum versus a la carte. And then he said, you know what? I like to help people. Why don't I just do some stuff a la carte? I'll lose some money, but I'll help people. I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out there on the lose money. I'm not, I'm not into that. He's like, well, but near a lump sum, it's just more money. Look at it analytically. I said, no, let's look at it creatively. And so what we did is we started to send out a very small segment of the market, got a la carte disaster restoration. Can you imagine that? Who's doing that? Nobody. And, and so people pick the cheapest package generally. And then through customer service and through people showing up, doing a really good job and, and creativity sort of nurturing that client relationship, people ended up signing up for the whole thing, which, 
when we added the whole thing analytically, we came up with it being greater than the lump sum of yesteryear, right? So all of a sudden you had a bunch more people signing up for a bunch more services and, you know, a very measurable uptick through creativity. What I want your listeners to understand is that you should not look for a device to offload that to. You need to do the work and Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, and maybe my publisher will get very, very mad at me, but this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not. If that's what you want, there's a shitload of other books out there that will pretend to make you rich in a minute, right, through real estate or some crazy online investment or something like that. I have not found that to be true in life, Matt. I found that everything, everything you do requires hard work and dedication and, you know, practice and and these types of things. And my book is no different. It is 92 tools on how to become more creative in anything that you do, but you got to do the work. It's not going to do it for you. And it's not magic. It's a routine and a process that you can follow. I assure you, you will see really great positive results, but you know, it's something that you really have to practice, change, be willing to adapt to and stick to so that you can see results. Right. And when is the book released? It's coming out August 4th worldwide. It's available now on pre-release in Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. It's going to be translated into two languages. It's got an audio book. We're very, very excited about it. Nice. The book is The Creator Mindset. And my guest today is Nira Bashan. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We had a great conversation and sidetracked a lot. I love it. I love the sidetracks. All right. So if you're listening to this and it's way in the future, write us back or shoot us a message on one of the socials on whatever it is in the future that people use. And <laughs> tell us if we were right. I love it. All right. Have a great day and we'll talk to you again soon. And we'll also we'll put once we get the link to the book, we'll put it in the show notes, which you can get at hookseo.com slash podcast. Nir, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. That was really fun. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.